And welcome, everyone, to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. And on this edition of our podcast, I'm going to be joined by the Hall of Famer from North Carolina, Roy Williams. And we're going to do something a little different. Try this over the next couple of weeks. We're going to take a head coach. And we're going to discuss with him basically um, 10 categories that he's going to go over. And you'll hear this with Roy Williams and try to pick out some of the top players that come to his mind um, from these categories, like the quarterback, the best passer, the most athletic player, the player with the best jump shot, um, the bucket getter, the lockdown defender, the rebounder, the glue guy, the basketball IQ, the captain, the clutch gene. And so Roy Williams will go over these with me from his 17 years as head coach at North Carolina. And then uh, we're going to discuss his time at Kansas. Um, And then a little bit of a memory from when he was an assistant under the late great Dean Smith, another hall of famer, of course, when he was coaching Michael Jordan, of course, the last dance captivated all of us for a five week period on Sunday nights on ESPN. So we'll discuss all that with Roy Williams. Uh, He's got a beard that, uh, obviously, you can't see here, but if you go on social media, uh, you might have seen his beard that uh, a lot of head coaches have allowed to grow during this uh, pandemic. And, you know, he's sheltering uh, between his home in the Chapel Hill area and a home in the uh, mountains in North Carolina. Would love to see his grandchildren. We'll talk about that. And really, I'll tell you this about Roy Williams. Uh, I've been covering the sport for 30 years. There are very few coaches who could say work harder. He is as hard a worker as anyone I've ever seen. Uh, and so he wanted to be out recruiting because they did not have a good year. Cole Anthony's injury clearly played into that, but he wanted to be out there recruiting. And obviously that was not the case, not able to do that. And so that was frustrating for him. Uh, and But he's like everyone else, all of us just sort of sitting around trying to get through this as we enter summer. Uh, but uh, Roy's doing a great job of staying connected and really enjoyed this conversation. I think not just North Carolina fans, Kansas fans, I think college basketball fans will really love to hear Roy Williams' description. And, and really what, what is, is when you see the list of all the great players he's coached, I mean, you knew it because he's been at you know North Carolina and Kansas. I mean, how many other head coaches in the history of the game have been at two of the Blue Bloods like that? So it's pretty remarkable when you think about his career, who he's coached, and he had to really think about uh, who would go into each of these categories. So uh, it's a pleasure to be joined here coming up on March Madness 365 with North Carolina head coach Roy Williams. Roy, before we get through uh, a number of categories I'm going to go through during your tenure here at North Carolina as we build sort of the ultimate player. Um, first off, just want to check on you. How are you doing uh as we're all sort of trying to manage this uh, shutdown, the stay at home uh, as we get through this pandemic? Well, not very well. <laughs> That's about the way I'm handling it. Uh, usually if we have a really good year and I've been fortunate enough to win that last game three times, I really try to get on the road recruiting as fast as I can because I don't want anybody to outwork me, even though we'd want it. And then when you don't win it, it's even more incentive to get out there. And, uh, you know, because some coaches may be tired and not want to do it or frustrated or changing jobs or something. And then this year, the extra 
uh, tremendously extra, extra motivation for getting their tails beat so many times this year. I would like to be back out there recruiting, but I'm not doing that. And, you know, you can't be on campus. they got the places locked up. So I've been spending a lot of time close to my in-laws. Granddaddy's 96 and Granny's 88, and they have some problems. And so we've been spending a lot of time uh, up in the mountains in North Carolina. Sunday night going back and doing a Zoom with my team and Monday getting checking the mail and meeting with the athletic director and then going back to the mountains and spending the rest of the week about 20 minutes away from Granny and Granddaddy. So that's been good for us. Uh, the house we built about 2010 up in the mountains is 50 yards from the 13th green. So I've been hitting a few more golf balls than I've ever hit it well. I was a high school coach 42 years ago and I also coached the golf team. So I did a lot of uh, – hitting golf balls in the spring at that time, but nothing like uh, uh, that since until this year. But it's it's been frustrating, Andy, because uh, we lost 19 games, and I'd like to be able to get out and do some more work. Yes, we all have. A, a, one last thing on a lighter note. Uh, I did see a couple of Zooms that you had a beard going, and uh, some of your <laughs> colleagues have done that as well, John Calipari, Jay Wright, uh, among others. Um, I can't remember. When's the last time you even let your let your beard grow? Uh, this would be the first time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, this would be the first time, no question. And it's something that uh, I probably would have already shaved. Well, I would have, not probably. I would have already shaved it off because I've gotten tired of it. But my two oldest grandsons, 10 years old and eight years old, they want to see it and being face to face. You know, we've did, done the Zoom. We've done the virtual dinners. We've done the FaceTime and all that kind of stuff. But I think they just want to grab my cheeks and see if they can grab it by the beard kind of thing. All right, so uh, well, we'll see, obviously, the next time. Uh, my gut is when we see you in person at some point, that it'll be gone. But uh, it's been nice to see it, though. Um, yeah. All it's right. Some people can laugh at, so yes. it's okay. No, I but you look good, a- aging gracefully. Um, <laughs> all right, a couple categories for you. First off, okay. in your 17 years as head coach at North Carolina, let's start with this group here. Um, who would you put down – as the quarterback, the best passer, the playmaker? Uh, Kendall Marshall. Uh, Kendall was in, uh, played two years. Uh, he's the 13th pick in the draft, and then he gets in the NBA and tears an ACL and tears his Achilles. And so it was one injury after another. But the best uh, pitch ahead guy I've ever seen. So he can make the big guys run by rewarding them, and they'd run again the next time. And uh, could make the bounce pass inside when he penetrated. Uh, could also penetrate and find the guy for three. He was definitely a pass-first uh, uh, point guard, but just tremendous savvy and uh, got the ball to the best shooters and had good players around him, and he made them look really good. All right, who would you say had that coach gene, that that extension of you on the floor, uh, that at some point, whether they did or didn't or still could, you could see uh, being a coach? I'm going to surprise you here. Sean May. Well, he is on your staff now. Sean May, even though he was our center uh, when he played, when we won the national championship uh, in 05, he could have played all five spots. He knew everybody's assignment. He's one of the five smartest uh, uh, basketball players I've ever coached. And, yes, he is on our staff right now. But Sean uh, was that guy that just uh, knew how to play, knew everybody's assignments, would talk people through things. And you could depend on him to it in late game situations about making the right play. 
All right, sorry I went out a little out of order here. So let's go back to the clutch gene. Okay, Marcus Page. Uh, he, he Marcus made, I can think right off the top of my head, three game winners uh, in his career. And he also uh, made a shot in the national championship game that if uh, Chris Jenkins hadn't made the shot from Villanova, if we'd have gotten the game into overtime, his double, triple pump, three-pointer with five seconds left in the game to tie the score, if we had gotten it into overtime and won the game, I've even told Michael Jordan, I think his Marcus's shot would have erased Michael's as the most famous shot in North Carolina basketball history. So that kid really he didn't make any difference to him the time or anything. He just thought he was going to make the shot, and he made me feel like he was going to make it. Well, I mean, I know people will think of Jordan because of what Jordan did in the NBA, but you can make a strong argument that what Marcus did in that moment was maybe more difficult than what Jordan had to do decades before in terms of being contested, the double clutch and all that. Yeah, it was the most difficult three-point shot I've ever seen anybody making. It wasn't luck. I mean, the slow motion, and there's been 10 views of it, but the one that I love was from down on the other end of the court. So it's full court length, and you can see Marcus in the distance and the way he contorts his body and bubble, double pumps and makes that shot to the tie of the game is the most incredible shot I've ever seen that wasn't just a luck shot. I mean, you know, you, you see somebody – throw it in from 90 feet or 80 feet or something like that. But this is, if this shot doesn't go in, we lose the national championship game. If it does go in, we have a chance to keep playing. And uh, so it was just an unbelievable shot. All right. Uh, athletic wonder. I mean, if we can sort of, however you want to describe it, but what would you say is uh, the player that fits that category? You know, it's crazy because, you know, after 17 years, I've got a lot of uh, uh, nominations in each one of those categories. But the, the one, you know, we had Cole Anthony this year that was an incredible athlete. We had J.P. Tokoto, who was an unbelievable jumper and uh, could do things. But I think I'll really surprise you again. Ty Lawson. Okay. Because Ty, to me, was an athletic wonder, a freak athlete. He could jump out of the gym, take the ball to the basket and dunk. But he had such tremendous feet and anticipation and athleticism. He's going back down the court in the national championship game against Michigan State and just looks back out of the corner of his eye and contorts his body and turns and gets one of his eight steals in the national championship game, which I think is still a, a championship game record. But eight steals in that game and the speed and the athleticism that he had pushing the ball up and down the court made a game winner at Florida State with uh, we took a lot of bounds at 3.5 seconds. I think it was he scored on the other end. So he was a freaky athlete, but just uh, uh, his lateral quickness, his hand quickness. Uh, so that would be Ty Lawson. All right, jump shooter. Boy, this is a tough one, but uh, uh, Wayne Ellington. Okay. I like this. One. And Wayne was the MVP in the uh, uh, the Final Four. Cam Johnson was in my mind a incredible, incredible amount. But Wayne Ellington and I would love to see uh, uh, those two guys in a shot three point shot contest. But Wayne really did step up at the biggest time there is and made a bunch of jump shots. And uh, so uh, the prettiest jump shot would be Wayne Ellington. All right, your bucket getter, the guy that you know. Um, not, not, not the clutch, but just, you know, the guy that's going to get you that volume. Tyler Hansbro. Oh yeah. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not a surprise. Yep. 
because the thing with Tyler is he he could shoot a face and jump shot. By the time he's a senior, he was even making some threes. But you got the ball to Tyler. He was going to score almost 60% of the time or get fouled, and then he was going to make 80% of the free throws. So Tyler Hansbrough, I mean, it was – it was a pretty comfortable feeling to know that we had him, that we could throw the ball into him at any time. All right. How about a lockdown defender? Jackie Manuel. And Jackie was on that 05 national championship team. And we had great scoring with Raymond Felton and Sean May and Jawad and Marvin Williams and uh, uh, Rashad McCants. And, but Jackie Manuel uh, could chase the guy around screens, could stay in front of the ball, uh, you know, it was just a guy that you could depend on to make it difficult for the other team. And he took everybody's best player. I mean, uh, when we played uh, uh, anybody there, if they had that outside shooter that could really uh, score, uh, Jackie could make it difficult for them regardless of who it was and uh, uh, did us a great job for us and probably better at chasing people around screens, avoiding screens and still getting there on the catch than anybody and was good staying in front of the ball. Uh, but uh, uh, he was the one guy that could get it done. Yeah. He, he's kind of like the fifth beetle, you know I mean? People forget, yeah. you know, I mean, cause you had so many stars on that Oh five team. Um, and you just talked about one of them in Sean may. And I think people forget about him. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sitting here, I'm having a senior moment. We, we played Duke, uh, golly bum, J. Reddick, JJ, yep. JJ Reddick, you know, could go around and Duke set great screens, but Jackie was always there. And if you were to go back and look at the shooting percentages that JJ had against Jackie, and JJ still hurt us, uh, but uh, Jackie was just that guy that was always there and able for you to do some things like that. All right, rebounder. Well, this is the one that you, you told me I couldn't use the same categories because uh, Sean May was just a a rebounder that was an unbelievable guy. So let me go to that one again since, because uh, I think the rebounding part is the biggest part of the game. So let's see if we gotten everything. No, I need, I need, a, I need a glue guy. All right. Glue guy would be Marvin Williams. Another guy on that national championship team, but he was just a great teammate. And I used your description, a positive influence on everybody and just, could do so many things in, on the court, but was so special uh, off the court, so special in the locker room, so special with what he could do. And, I mean, it was just a, an unbelievable thing for him uh, to be part of that national championship team. Never never started a game and was the second guy drafted in the entire NBA after that one year. So he was uh, uh, just that guy that made everybody, everybody better. Hey, I got, a, I, I got an interesting one. Instead of like dirty work, what about, can you think of maybe an enforcer? Yeah. You know, a, a player that, you know, you needed sometimes. Well, the guy that I'll give you, I just had to think for a second and the dirty work and rebounding both and rim protection. Uh, that was John Henson. I mean, he was the, uh, the defensive player of the year, the ACC, two years, his sophomore year and his junior year. And he was a great rebounder. Sean May was just an incredible rebounder. But if I had to put Sean somewhere, I'd put him in that basketball IQ. Uh, but I do think rebounding was so important. But John was in the top three or four in the ACC in rebounding. He was the defensive player of the year as a sophomore and junior. Uh, there's no telling how he would have gone up in the uh, totals for block shots at North Carolina if he had stayed for his uh, senior year. Uh, you know, he's played, what is this, eight years in the NBA, uh, but had the longest reach of any player 
he's the only guy that I told you can try to block the shot of the guy you're guarding. Because most of the time, if you try to block the shot of the guy you're guarding, it's going to be a foul. Uh, those shot blockers, they'd erase teammates' mistakes. John was by far the best, but John could even block the shot of the guy that he was guarding. And that is really, really hard to do. And every now and then, he would, couldn't figure out where to go, so people would run over him and he'd get a charge. <laughs> but that's the only way he would get a charge. Do we want to do an enforcer, a guy that would maybe step in if there was a little bit of a of some heated words? An enforcer... Uh, I can't that we've, we haven't had, you know, at, at Kansas, I had Alonzo Jameson that nobody wanted to mess with or Richard Scott that nobody wanted to mess with. Uh, I can't think of an enforcer right now, but by the end of the show, maybe I'll okay. get an enforcer. And then the last one here, um, it, it, I don't know if this is fair to say a captain, but is there a player that over your 17 years that, and, and in this one, I mean, if, if you, if you feel, uh, that there has to be a duplicate, but just, you know, the one that sort of epitomizes yeah. what you have accomplished so far at Carolina. No, it's, uh, you know, I could do that because to me, David Noel and David Noel is working for the Washington Wizards right now, but David was the sixth man on our championship team in 05. And then the only guy that stayed, he was our leading returning scorer in 06 at uh, like 3.9 points a game or something like that. But we had Tyler Hansbro, uh, Bobby Fraser, Marcus Kenyard, three freshmen that started the first game for us with uh, Rayshon Terry and David Noel. And David put those little pups on his back and he told them what to do. And he had them in the locker room. He told them what we were going to do. He was just so positive. And, and he was, uh, he was that guy that if I had to pick an enforcer, I might pick David Noel there too. But uh, he, he was the best leader I've ever been around. And he was the guy that uh, made that team in 2006 because we did. We lost. The, he was the leading returning scorer, I said, at 3.9. Sports Illustrated didn't pick us in the top 68 to make the tournament. We ended up being a three seed. Now, Tyler Hansborough was first team all ACC and first team all American and all those things. But everything that uh, anybody had a question about, David Noel took care of. And even in the tough times and some of the tough games or some of the tough losses, David really pulled our guys back together and, and seriously got those. Uh, he took a team. It was David Noel came to North Carolina on a football scholarship. And when I got there, we switched him over to basketball because he didn't want to play football anymore. Uh, the starting lineup most of that year was Ray Sean Terry, who was second team, all state and three freshmen. And then I took one of the freshmen out and put in Wes Miller, who's the coach at Greensboro now, and a great, great coach at 5'7". And yet David Noel led that team to a number three seed throughout the course of the season. And I got a lot of credit as a coach of that group. And every time I'd get that, I'd tell David, thank you, <laughs> you know, because it was it was him who was such a great leader on and off the court. All right. Um, we don't have to go through all these categories, but I'm just curious during your time at Kansas, cause you coached so many great players, multiple final fours, um, any players that, you know, that you want to just highlight that, uh, that stand out in a couple of these categories just off the top of your head. Well, while we've been right before I could talk to you, I put down somebody in every category from Kansas also. I just oh, did sure. not, want I'll to, take it. I did not want to mix the two. Yeah, that's so, fine. Okay. Quarterback would be Jock Vaughn. Ooh, okay, good one. All right. Clutch gene would be Paul Pierce. 
Okay. Athletic wonder would be Drew Gooden. Okay. The best shooter would be uh, Billy Thomas. All right. The bucket getter would be Rafe LaFrance. Okay. The lockdown defender would be Kirk Heinrich. Okay. The dirty work would be Nick Collison, and that's your category of rebounder. And I remember that game at Texas. I was there for that. When oh, yeah. Everyone gave him a standing ovation. I, I can't remember the numbers, but it was just off the charts. Well, he had, I think, even even in an Elite Eight game uh, against Duke, he had like 21 and 21 or something like that. But that game against Texas, it was like 27 and 20. And, yeah, he was, he was unbelievable. Drew Gooden was the naturally the greatest rebounder, but Drew was so athletic and, you know, could do anything out there on the court. But Nick Collison was just that dirty work guy that uh, – and Nick would take a charge too. I mean, he did, he wasn't a great shot blocker. He'd get one every now and then. But just uh, the dirty work, rebounding, that kind of thing, Nick Collison was off the charts. All right. And then – The glue guy? Yes. Blue guy, how about Aaron Miles, who's an assistant coach with the uh, Golden State Warriors right now. Okay. And then the last one was uh, the captain. Basketball IQ. Yes. Steve Woodbury. Okay. And is there a captain? That'd be, it had to be a duplicate because that would be Jock or Nick, either one. Okay. Um. All right. Your time as an assistant, you don't have to go through all this, but just obviously you were there for Jordan. The last mm-hmm. dance, there's been a lot of chatter. Um. Mm-hmm. Is there an anecdote that you don't mind sharing about your time coaching him? Well, it was it was just tremendous. There's no question about that. And he came in as a six four and a half kid. And sophomore year, he was six six. He came in, and now this is me timing him, so it's not professional. He came in as a freshman running a four five forty, and as a sophomore ran a four three eight. Uh, his vertical jump was as good as anybody's. Uh, his freshman year, he won the Defensive Player of the Game Award in the Georgetown National Championship game, which was his first win of the year of the Defensive Player of the Game because he just got kept getting better and better and better. And then as a sophomore and, and junior, we had he and Sam Perkins. And my gosh, I mean, one of those guys, both those guys were two of the greatest defenders at their position I've ever seen. And then we had guys like Jimmy Black and Matt Darty, who always did the right thing kind of thing. So for me, uh, that was it. Sam Perkins was as good a defender in the post uh, as I've ever seen. And then you also have James Worthy, uh, you know, and so it's there's some big time, big time guys there that you can talk about in North Carolina when I was assistant as well. You know what photo I love that I've seen recently? Because as great as Jordan, greatest of all time, the, he was also incredibly, you know this obviously, coachable. And there was a yeah. great photo that circulated with him and the late, great Dean Smith, your mentor. And, mm-hmm. and Michael is looking like just he is attentive. It's on the sideline. I'm sure you've seen it where he's yep. just looking right right at him, listening to every word. Uh, what was it like to, to, you know, at that point, he obviously he wasn't who he became mm-hmm. or, or who he was, but the, how coachable he was at that time in his life and really throughout the course of his career. Yeah, throughout the course of his career, even in the last dance when they're in the, on the bench and they have the clip with the camera in the huddle and him talking about it, they double-teamed me again, Steve, you know, be ready. And Steve Curtis jumped out of his skin. I'll be ready. I'll be ready. Yes. But 
Michael had great basketball savvy. And I think that's something that a lot of kids have just it's it's who they are. It's an instinctive kind of thing. Michael didn't necessarily have that as a freshman, but he got better and better and better defensively. And he was extremely coachable when he was a freshman. He would look you right in the eye and he was trying to soak in everything. And when he was a junior, he would look you right in the eye and he was trying to soak in everything. I mean, he he got better physically, mentally, but he was as easy to coach as anybody I've ever known. And Coach Smith, I mean, we had one defense uh, that we played in the last play of the game against Maryland at home. And Michael, his assignment was to guard everybody. Coach Smith said, get in the lane area and, and help everybody out. And he ended up blocking a shot at the end of the game. Uh, but uh, he just had tremendous instincts. And I've even a hundred times in my coaching career, uh, particularly after uh, 98, uh, talked about how Michael, his guy clears out, but he knows they're going into Carl Malone instead of clearing all the way out. He stops on the weak side and then comes back in. And that was the biggest play of that sixth game in the, I think that was the 98 uh, championship game. And so he, his instincts were great, but he was such a sponge uh, trying to learn so many things. And, and I've talked to several guys and I'm good friends with Rod Thorne who drafted him in the NBA. They still say the same thing about how that he wanted to get better and tried to get better in every phase of the game. And I think it was nine times on the all defensive team and one time uh, defensive uh, player of the year in the NBA. So no, he was uh, as coachable as you can possibly be. One last thing, Roy, I appreciate your okay. time is, um, one of the many things that you're famous for is your secondary break. Where did that come from? Well, we ran a secondary break at North Carolina, and that's where the foundation was laid. And Coach Smith one time just said in passing, and we decided, hey, that's what we should say to the team, is that if it's against a set defense, you want to make three passes unless it's a layup. It's not like uh, – Hackman and Hoosiers, where I think he said eight passes or something like that, but with three passes unless you get a layup and change sides of the floor with the ball because then they go from help to ball side and then ball side to help side, and that puts pressure on the low post defender. So when I got at Kansas, Jerry Green was with me, and we added one, and that was give the defense a chance to make a mistake. So against the set defense, that's what we look for, three passes unless it's a layup change size of the four, give the defense a chance to make a mistake. So after my first couple of years at Kansas, Coach Smith called and said, gosh, don't you get bored just running secondary break every play? <laughs> and I said, Coach, you're too creative. I said, I'm not. I like things that are simple and successful. And then I said, and Coach, think about it. We're trying to attack. And if we can get the primary break, that's what we want. And we have some players that we give the freedom to try to attack even if – because our rule is if there's two defenders back, we want a shot and two or fewer passes. If there's more than two defenders back, we look to go secondary. But we have some player like a Rex Walters, like a uh, Ty Lawson, like a Cole Anthony that we say keep attacking. You may be able to get a layup even in secondary. But if we don't, if we run secondary and we swing the ball, we're doing what Coach Smith gave me as my best philosophy is Three passes, unless it's a layup. We're changing the sides of the floor, and we're giving the defense a chance to make a mistake. So our regular 
offense freelance against a set defense is the same thing as our secondary against uh, a defense that is not set. And so I like that part of it. And, and we recruit to guys to understand that, but we do give guys freedom uh, to break it off. And Cole Anthony was uh, just, just this past year. Uh, the only problem with Cole was we just didn't have enough guys who could make a shot. And so it was the worst three point shooting percentage, free throw percentage and field goal percentage in our 17 years. And uh, so Cole didn't have as many assists because we just didn't make the shots, but it's, it's something I believe in and it's something that we work on a lot. It's something that kids uh, understand because I do believe the game is pretty simple. It's if Andy, if I'm coaching against you, my job is to get my team better shots then I let you get your team. And so secondary break for us and the freelance offense that we run so much, both of those lead us in just so if Andy is on my there's a guy named Andy on my team and he shoots the ball and I say, Andy, did did you really like that shot? Let's hold on a second. Everybody on the team, raise your hand if you liked Andy's shot. Well, I tell Andy he better raise his hand because yes. he shot the sucker. Uh, but it is so the quality of the shot, it, I think, is the most important thing in the game. If I get higher quality shots than you get, and then the second thing would be the rebounding part. Well, it's obviously worked incredibly well. Hall of Fame career, this list is remarkable. Uh, most importantly, uh, I wish you nothing but uh, health and safety, and I can't wait to see you can hug your grandkids again. Andy, thank you very much. That's a great sentiment, a great thought. And you and your family stay safe. And hopefully things will clear up for your daughter to get to Northwestern this fall as well. Yep, that's what we're hoping for. <laughs> thank you. Okay, big fella. Thank you. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. Now it's time for Cat's Ranks. And for this edition of Cat's Ranks, we're going to take one of the categories each week that I discussed with Roy Williams and obviously will be with uh, other head coaches here and give my top 10 from the past 10 years in each category, but I'm going to have to have some criteria. So my first one of cats ranks here is my top 10 favorite bucket getters. And the criteria is they had to have at least scored 2000 points. So I'm going to start at number 10. Wow. Corner. Fletcher McGee from Wofford ended his career in 2019 with 2,516 points. Uh, Wofford in his senior season had an NCAA win. He was a bucket getter. You knew anytime you, you tracked what Wofford was doing uh, with head coach Mike Young, McGee was uh, certainly just putting buckets down. There's no question about it. All right, number nine. Tied at 56. Merrill for the lead. He's got it! Oh, my goodness. Sam Merrill from Utah State finished his career this past season. 2,197 points. Just check out what he did to win the Mountain West Conference Tournament. 27 points, game-winning three to beat San Diego State. At number eight... Now I think C.J. McCollum can get a shot for somebody else. He doesn't necessarily have to shoot it unless he's wide open. C.J. McCollum from Lehigh finished his career in 2013 with 2,361 points. He will always be remembered for helping Lehigh knock off Duke in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Obviously, later on, has had an outstanding career with the Portland Trailblazers. At number seven. Ives hands to Jenkins. 
Down to three. Down to two. With one, Jenkins fires. Got it! Charles Jenkins at the buzzer. Hofstra wins. 81-78. Charles Jenkins from Hofstra ended his career in 2011. 2,513 points. Big time bucket getter. Charles Jenkins, big time. At number six. Here's Dom for three. Oh, money. The Dominator. Mike Dom uh, from South Dakota State. The Jackrabbits, one of my favorite nicknames of all time from 2019. 3,067 points. And by the way, Dom led the Jackrabbits to the NCAA tournament out of the summit. At number five. Piles not giving this up. Step back jumper. Miles Powell gives Seton Hall the lead. One of my favorite people I've covered in the last 30 years. Just graduated. Literally just graduated. I'm not saying finishes eligibility. Just graduated. We had him on last week. Miles Powell from Seton Hall. 2,252 points. Bucket getter. At number four. Into the hands of Heald. I think this is going up. Yes, I do. <laughs> and in. Buddy Heald, Oklahoma, 2016, 22-91. Led the Sooners to a Final Four. Big-time bucket getter in Norman. Really enjoyed covering him. At number three. Doug McDermott is the eighth player. College history is unbelievable. To get to 3,000 points. Dougie McBuckets. Doug McDermott from Creighton, 2014, 3,150 points. Lit up anyone who came into Omaha for the Blue Jays. Uh, fantastic career for Creighton. And more than anything, uh, helped really with Creighton's transition to the Big East and getting to that Big East final against Providence in the Garden. At number two. Howard stepping back. Come on. 50 points for Marcus Howard. Another one of my favorites over the last 30 years. Marcus Howard from Marquette in 2020, just finishing his career. And Marcus Howard, he finished with 2,761 points. And at number one, Burnett for three. There he goes. Jimmer Jimmer Fredette from BYU finished in 2011 with 2,599 points. I mean, Jimmer Mania, loved watching Jimmer play. Phenomenal. Just outstanding. So it's a hard list. There were names I really considered, like Jordan Caroline from Nevada, Yoli Childs from BYU, Chris Clemens from Campbell, Tyler Hawes from BYU, Trace Tinkle from Oregon State, Jordan Howard, Marcus's brother from Central Arkansas, Jacob Pullen from Kansas State, Sean Kilpatrick from Cincinnati, Lamar Stevens from Penn State. These were all players that I really considered putting on this list because they were all big-time bucket getters. So this will be good engagement for people that might uh, you know, want to debate me, which is fine. So anyway, uh, enjoy it. I'd love to hear what you think. Uh, and we'll do this every week. You'll thoroughly enjoy these conversations with these mostly Hall of Fame coaches, I would think. All right, so that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. We loved our senior showcase over the last month. Got a chance from here from a slew of seniors who had outstanding careers, not just senior seasons, 
at the respective schools and in March Madness. Uh, we are still rolling out our Senior Showcase highlight packages. We've already had a couple online. They've been very, very well received. I think you'll really enjoy the senior and the head coach breaking down the highlights from their career. As always, you can follow all our content on our social media handles at March Madness on Twitter, Facebook, at NCAA.com. Throughout all this, we want you all to stay safe. We're optimistic that we will have our college sports back like everything else in a different normal, though. We know that in the fall. Uh, but at least we can get something back. And we're confident that that will happen in some form or fashion uh, beginning in late August and September. But most importantly, stay safe, everyone. Wear that mask when you're out in public uh, with other people. We're seeing good PSAs from around the country. Bob Huggins was one in, was in one in West Virginia with Senator Joe Manchin. Uh, Nick Saban was in one down in Alabama. So uh, coaches are getting out there. And basically telling everyone, look, this is what we got to do. If we want college sports, we've got to do this. And of course, social distancing as well as we try to obviously get on the other side of this pandemic. So I'm Andy Katz, March Madness 365. It's always a pleasure delivering it to you, our fans, that we value. And we just always love the engagement that you are giving back to us on all forms of our social media here related to the NCAA and Turner Sports. Thanks again. We'll talk next week.